Welcome to Backstage at Upstage, a presentation of Upstage Lung Cancer, which uses the performing arts to raise awareness and funding for lung cancer research. Here's your host, the founder and president of Upstage Lung Cancer, Hilde Grossman. Hi, I'm Hilde Grossman, and we're so excited to have you with us today backstage at Upstage. And here's my good pal, Jordan Rich. Thank you, Hilde. Once again, you've assembled an amazing panel to address a vital issue when it comes to lung cancer treatment and research. Today, the guests include Marsha Horn, President and CEO of ICANN, the International Cancer Advocacy Network, and the Executive Director of the Exxon 20 Group. Marsha will share information on just what that group is all about, and we're honored to have two patient advocates join us, each of whom had spouses who battled bravely against a rare form of cancer. And today, Karen Susserman and Sandy Kitchener will provide a very important public service by sharing their personal stories. I, like the audience, am very interested in hearing more. So, Hildy, the floor is yours. So here at Backstage at Upstage, we've already uh, focused on three podcasts dealing with biomarker testing. Uh, That's how important we know this process is. The last two have been on EGFR mutations and um, biomarker testing for those mutations. And we've spoken with three outstanding people in the course of these podcasts. And they have each been able to lead very productive lives with advanced stage lung cancer. This knowledge has allowed them to receive treatments that are specifically targeted to their mutation. Each of our guests has been so inspiring, as our guests will be today. Uh, So thank you, Jill, Ivy, and Dan, for those uh, wonderful podcasts. So let me just take one minute just to see if I can make biomarkers and genetic mutations simple. (laughs) Anyway, for someone diagnosed with non-small cell lung cancer, a test can be performed to see what their biomarker is or a genetic mutation that causes the cancer to grow. One example is EGFR. If you have this mutation, it causes the cancer to grow much more rapidly. If you have this biomarker, there are specific drugs to target directly that mutation. However, I recently learned not all EGFR mutations are the same. Enter Exxon 20. To help us understand just what Exxon 20 is, we'll begin with Marsha Horn from the International Cancer Advocacy Network. She's the executive director of Exxon 20 Group. Welcome, Marsha. So glad to have you to talk about this very little known, I believe, situation. Hildy, thank you so very much. Uh, and you're exactly right. EGFR Exxon 20 insertion mutations and HER2 Exxon 20 insertion mutations are very rare cancers with very specific biomarkers. Uh, while they're found primarily in non small cell lung cancer, they can also be found in 24 other tumor types. The Exxon 20 group was founded in early 2017 by EGFR Exxon 20 insertion patient Kevin Hamlin and his brother Bob Hamlin. Kevin was an upstate New York entrepreneur, very well regarded in the Syracuse, New York community. Bob Hamlin is a senior lecturer at MIT. The two of them uh, were among the most proactive savvy folks that we have ever worked with in then 24 years of of ICANN. They came to us with 
Kevin's case. And Kevin and Bob and I quickly realized that the Exxon 20 world wasn't particularly well organized. So we set about to create the Exxon 20 group to unite scientific teams and to unite clinical teams and to bring on patients. And this was a matter of if you build it, they will come. The minute we announced the Exxon 20 group's formation, the doors were pounded down with patients and care partners and family members from literally all over the world wanting to become involved. About 2,000 to 4,000 patients per year in the United States are diagnosed with either EGFR exon 20 insertions or HER2 exon 20 insertions. So each of these uh, two insertion mutations represents about 2% of all metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. And fortunately, our exon 20 drug pipeline is uh, there at the rescue making really good, good progress in terms of, of life extension. We have essentially different pipelines of drugs for the classical mutations versus the EGFR exon 20 insertion mutations. And so it's important to know what camp you end up with. So NGS makes all the difference in the world to best identify the specific insertion mutation and not miss it. And what we've done at the Exxon 20 group for the past the past five years is build a very large multi-stakeholder organization comprised of patients, care partners, family members. We represent 63 countries. We have a referral network of 300 thoracic and medical oncologists worldwide. And we have all the leading molecular profiling labs involved, as well as the pharma, the biotechs involved with Exxon 20 drugs in our very, very specific pipeline. Plus, we have a newly introduced international research consortium specifically for Exxon 20, and that's comprised of scientists and research oncologists. And we have about five different collaborations leading toward turning this into a chronic and maintenance disease first, and then, of course, driving toward cure. So we're hoping that those collaborations really will make a big, big difference. And we're trying to lead the way on both patient and clinician support services by not only providing research funding, but providing numerous private social media groups. And then, of course, our claim to fame is, is clinical trials, matching services, molecular profiling matching services, and expanded access matching services for our patients worldwide. And Hildy and Jordan, this will be quite a program today with Karen Susserman and Sandy Kitchener in tow. Not only are they exemplary care partners in the Exxon 20 group, they're strategically savvy. They've been tremendous fundraisers for us. They have been deep in the weeds of for Karen, EGFR, Exxon 20, insertion mutations, and she's been the leader of our Amivantamab private social media group. And for Sandy Kitchener, uh, totally giving on the HER2 Exxon 20 side, and he and his late wife, Cheryl, have been absolutely marvelous in bringing HER2 Exxon 20 issues to other her two Exxon 20 patients in the Exxon 20 group. So Karen, um, I know you've gone through quite a situation your, yourself uh, and in your family, and I, I, I would be really honored if you would tell us your story. Thank you, Hildy. I'm not happy to be here for the reason that, you know, we, we actually have to be here, but I really am happy to be a part of moving 
this space forward um, in memory of my husband, Mike, and um, just for all the other people who are who are struggling, not just with Exxon 20 insertion mutation, but, um, you know, across the breadth of non-small cell lung cancer, which I think until recent years has been, um, you know, just sort of overlooked maybe because of stigma, et cetera. And we found, I didn't realize this, but when my husband was diagnosed, we we told the doctors that that they were wrong, that Mike never smoked. So it couldn't be lung cancer. And right. what we found out rather quickly was that although smoking does cause lung cancer, like any other part of the body, you can get cancer in the lung having nothing to do with having smoked. So there was a real, you know, sort of education um, aspect to it. One of the reasons the biomarker testing is so important to me, or the issue is so important to me, is that when Mike was diagnosed and he had gotten his NGS sequencing back, we were told that it was exon 20 insertion mutation, but that unlike many of the other exon 20, exon uh, exon EGFR exon mutations, exon 20 was deadly and uh, there was nothing that could be done besides chemotherapy. And we sat in that doctor's office and it was not a community-based oncologist's office. It was um, one of the top centers in New York City. So you felt like that was it. Where else were you going to turn? If you are in the most powerfully connected city in the world where medicine is concerned and there was nowhere to go, there was no hope. At that point, I stopped listening to the oncologist and I started Googling. And my We were there with my father-in-law. So Mike and, and his dad were listening more to the oncologist. My father-in-law, having been a, a physician himself, was sort of trying to wrap his head and understanding around this. I started to Google on my phone and I found the Exxon 20 group. I read a little bit, you know, I've, of course I was in shock at that point, but one of the uh, first things that I saw was if you are diagnosed with Exxon 20 insertion mutation, call it any time, day or night, this phone number. It was the number for ICANN. So I called, left a message, and I would say within an hour, I was speaking with Marsha Horn. And instead of feeling so dreadfully hopeless, it turned my whole perspective and then my husband's on how this journey might go. We knew it was dire. No one ever wants to be diagnosed with cancer, certainly not metastatic stage four lung cancer of a very obscure type, but we had hope. And I will say in brief, and you can ask me more questions if you want to, but Marsha was, I don't even have words for the hope that she gave. She is a, she was at the time and continues to be a literal self-growing encyclopedia of exon 20 and non-small cell lung cancer information. She has, she knew exactly what agents that Mike should be on. He knew, she knew exactly what trials she would help him get into if he progressed, when and if he progressed. She had basically in that hour after we had gotten such a horrible diagnosis for the better part of Mike's two-year journey, he led a very productive, relatively healthy, 
fulfilling life until he progressed at a time when COVID was beginning and that sort of really changed everything. So that was sort of a different piece of it. Um, Would he have passed if it weren't for COVID? I I do believe so, but I probably, I don't believe it would have happened in the same way we might have had another chance at a, at a clinical trial. Marsha had also opened doors for clinical trials for him. But at that time when the world was just hit with the pandemic, there was no access to anything. So I will say that what we see now, as opposed to what we saw four years ago when Mike was first diagnosed, we see there are two drugs targeted for exon 20 insertion mutation that we did not have the only way that we could have had access to those two drugs, and Mike did ultimately have access to one of them in trial, was to be eligible for a clinical trial. And we know that there are <clears throat> stop gaps to trials. There's um, there's reasons some patients can't participate, even though we think that they might be life-saving, life-saving agents for them, or certainly life-preserving agents for them. So it, it we learned that it's it's very, very critical that a patient who's newly diagnosed with a targetable mutation does not have to get blasted necessarily with chemo, can try these you know, toxic sparing agents and really try and get a better quality of life and better chance at longer times to progression till another agent is needed. So did you find out about the Exxon 20 right away? In other words, a lot of times people will get biomarker testing and it'll be EGFR or ALK or um, KRAS or another, you know, of these major categories, these major biomarkers. So where did the Exxon 20 pop into this equation for you and Mike? interesting for us and very fortunate for us and is not widely or as widely known as as we you know as as those of us in the biomarker space are concerned a lot of doctors don't test for these specific they see non-small cell lung cancer they see small cell lung cancer they have this old you know sort of i i, I put it in in quotes, gold standard, which is, you know, there's really no gold to this, to chemo. But um, I think the difference with ours was they said immediately, we want to send your tissue type and your um, blood, a liquid biopsy out for NGS sequencing. And Mike having worked for Pfizer and Regeneron all his career, he was very familiar with what they were looking for. And the diagnosing doctor had told us that this could, if we could find something that was, you know, that was that um, targeted to whatever might be found in Mike's um, uh, tissue, we might have a better chance at treatment and um, and quality of life and survival, um, you know, survival rate. So we did that. We had his tumor type tested for, you know, any kind of mutation. And we also had a liquid biopsy. Um, liquid biopsy was what informed um, informed about exon 20. But again, 
at that point, you know, at the big center that we were at in New York City, this doctor who was in charge of, you know, he was chief of, of the thoracic oncology, did not even suggest any clinical trials that were exon 20 uh, specific. So Mike was immediately put on chemo. Um, and the, I think the reason that he was, was because he, his metastatic disease was so extensive that if he had waited to be screened for trial, too mm-hmm. much time would have gone by. It might've been weeks. It might've been even a month. And they wanted to get him on chemo. They wanted to get him on something to stop that. What happened with Mike was it was working very well. So they kept him on it and they said, once you progress, then we're going to get a clinical trial that's targeted to exon 20 insertion mutation specifically. And that's exactly what happened. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment. As thousands of audience members know, upstage lung cancer events, the concerts are fun, meaningful, inspiring, and memorable. And you should know that we invest in cutting edge diagnostic research to find lung cancer early and greatly improve on the five year survival rate. We also bring voice to the fact that young people get lung cancer. They really do. Unfortunately, doctors don't know how or why. Proceeds from our concerts support research to help find answers to these questions. Hilde Grossman and her team aim to entertain and inform because the show must go on. Find out how you can help at upstagelungcancer.org. Now back to the podcast. Here's Hilde. How did you keep your spirits up during this time, or did you? Given that it's such a rare disease and not a lot of people know about this, what kept the two of you going? I think that's an excellent question. And I, you know, Mike will be gone for two years now. And it's not that it's hard looking back, but, um, you know, I don't often think about, you know, how we, how we kept so positive, but we really did. I think something that informed me was that I lost my brother at a young age to um, a sarcoma. Mm. He was 13 and I was 16. So I had, you know, when Mike walked in the house from a, you know, after having a test that we just thought was routine, but that's when they found the the lung tumor. um, I remember thinking, okay, you're back here again. You've got two kids you've got a husband, you've got a life, and you are going to make it good for as long as it can be good, that we're going to try and be as positive as possible. I think that Marsha's, I think Marsha was, was absolutely key to that. I think she was just so full of hope and information that no one else had. Hmm. And it's interesting because you you know, Mike worked with doctors and researchers and stuff throughout his career. And so we sort of thought that the doctors would know more than anyone. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Marsha was far more informed about this specific mutation than anyone we had come across. And so she became our our hope in a lot of ways. And I think that the way she operates, the way she has set the Exxon 20 group, you know, she's sort of established it. Um, it's, it's a, um, I think it's, it's, it's really our test case for mm-hmm. advocacy groups. I think it, it, I think that was, was really a key. Mm-hmm. I think that knowing that I needed to keep everything as normal as possible and as, as positive as possible, I think it really, really helped us all. And, um, 
you know, it's, it's, listen, I'm not going to say there's any, you know, when you're faced with that diagnosis, yeah, it's very difficult. That's right. Um, all and, the resources you can, you use. Yeah. And it sounds like you, you did everything you could and you tried to keep the idea of keeping positive as best you could. And, you know, finding the International Cancer Advocacy Network, ICANN, um, gave you a lot of information. Also, it sounds like it helped you feel less alone. Was that true for you, Sandy? You know, uh, yes. Uh, what what I found and what my wife and I, she passed away about three months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we found is the other people that we, we spoke to, the other doctors, just didn't understand this. Mm-hmm. It happens to so few people. It's 2%. And, and she was actually her too. Exxon 20, which I think may be uh, a tiny bit more rare than uh, the uh, EGFR, but either way, it affects a small amount of people. The The journey began getting our diagnosis. And, you know, like a lot of people, you're sitting in an office, you don't quite know what's going on. And in an instant, they tell you what you have. And I didn't know anything about it. They say, well, it's stage four. And I'm thinking, that's pretty high. I don't know how many stages there are. Can't be more than five or six. <laughs> right. And I really didn't know. Yeah. And then in no time, they're saying, well, it's not totally bad because, you know, she could live up to a year more. Oh, boy. And then you're just sitting there, and but you're not there. Mm-hmm. And so from there, we saw an oncologist at one of the major Southern California hospitals who didn't do any biomarker testing, no, no genetic testing at all. Just started chemo and, and off we go. And we don't know. You know, it seems okay. And I talked to a a good friend who was the chief medical officer at another large uh, California hospital chain who said, you know, without the genetic testing, I can't help you. And once we got all that done and we had, you know, both types done, uh, he kind of looked at the results and he says, oh, yeah, this isn't good. There's not much we can do. And I think the reason for the first doctor and the second is this doesn't happen very often and they just don't have a lot of this information. You know, the the things that Marcia has just a world of knowledge. I think most doctors have almost none. They don't encounter this. I mean, I imagine they can go a year or two and encounter nobody with this. You said you did both types of testing. What were you thinking of when you said? So one was the uh, the liquid testing and one was the uh, testing of the actual tumor. Okay, okay. And, and they gave us similar information, but not exactly the same. It, it's kind of wandering around blind. I mean, it took us a while to find Marcia. Uh, and, you know, not recommended by any of these doctors, just Googling things and finding and calling. Really, we had so little information from anyone. And once we had talked to Marsha, and I don't know how many times I called and spoke to Marsha, but 50, all of a sudden we had hope we had several options and we were able to go through that and get a better course of treatment. Can I ask one question? You can ask a (laughs) hundred questions. Are you kidding? I I really appreciate all of you. And I know Hildy's going to follow up with Marsha on what needs to be done to better educate the medical community. But my first wife passed away uh, now nine years ago from cancer. So I have, unfortunately, a working knowledge of what the two of you have been going through. It's all different. It's all unique because everyone's special. But what words of solace or advice, I know it's even more fresh in the minds of people like Sandy, and it's raw, do you have for the caretakers, the caregivers? Because it's a tough job and nobody gives you a handbook as to how to do it. 
You know, uh, part of it is if if you can find someone who's in a similar boat, it, it's very helpful right. because no matter how smart and good and feeling and caring you are, you're on an island and you're dealing with this and your your spouse hasn't gone through this. You've not gone through this. And that was one of the things that helped. And to find that it is not easy. So to find a grief and a support group after a spouse has died, ah, it's easy. They're everywhere. To find someone to help you while you're going through this, not so easy. There's not a lot of people. Very good. Karen? I, I agree wholeheartedly with Sandy and exactly what he says. I think that is the most helpful thing. You know, you could say, okay, get someone to help with the kids, drive them, um, do all of those things, cook, make a casserole, all those things. But what Sandy said is absolutely, I think, what you need. And that's something that the Exxon 20 group allows. Um, I think it lends itself to, and, and just coincidentally, I would be remiss if I didn't say this, but I had there was a, a woman who was dealing with her husband's Exxon 20 insertion mutation. Um, and she uh, found me through uh, the Exxon 20 group, Facebook group. And she was from Italy, uh, spoke Italian and English. And we started to talk offline and we were each other's sort of solace um, sounding board, everything. And in fact, for the first time we, and since her husband passed away, unfortunately, a few months before mine did. Um, and I was WhatsApping and texting her and talking to her, you know, through the last days of his life, her husband's life. And then five, six months later, she was doing the same for me. Mm. We became very close friends in a way for two mm. Women who had never met, and for the first time, just coincidentally, she has visited New York, yeah. able to leave Italy, and she's in my house right now. But and she knows Marsha very well, Raffaello Zucchetti, and um, we really, I think that exactly what Sandy said. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I would have done without her and Marsha. I think that um, they were both critical to to that support that Sandy talked about. Well, it's a special bond, you know. Um, you know, people can be empathic and caring and loving and all that, but in some sense it's like yeah. somebody else doesn't have a clue what you're going through. Not that everybody's experience is the right. same. Being on the other side of it, I'm a lung cancer survivor. I was very lucky by accident, stage 1A, um, and that's why I started up stage lung cancer. I thought, well... I wanted to give back. Um, but I remember at the time, um, my husband and I talk about everything. Like we're just, But at the time that I was diagnosed and he had needs, and usually he would turn to me and say, you know, oh, my God, this is terrible, and I'm worried, and I, and I couldn't have any of it. I just said, you have to find someone else to talk to um, because I, I couldn't bear his mm. pain on top of what I was going through. So um, it's a it's it's a very unique um, experience. Um, all of us know we're going to face death at some point, but that process and hearing those terrible words, whether or not it leads to you know the end of your life quickly or not, um, it's just very difficult 
uh, thing to go through. Hildy, I know you're thinking the same thing. Uh, ICANN is doing such great work. Why isn't it more doctors across the country? Why don't they have a pipeline? And how are you, Marsha, working on that problem, if you are? Great question, Jordan. And, and uh, right up our alley, we want to help and assist every EGFRX on 20 patient and every HER2 Exxon 20 patient worldwide. Uh, we'd love to end the year with 2,500 patients. Uh, we get 15% of our referrals right now from uh, clinicians, uh, mostly across the United States. Uh, but that should that number needs to go up, uh, and we'd love to have referrals from study teams running clinical trials and from thoracic oncologists and medical oncologists worldwide directly into the Exxon 20 group because we can outfit them with uh, angel buddies who will work with them one-on-one. They'll get our one-on-one patient counseling, and we have private social media that can really ensconce them and love them, and and, uh, they'd be playing a major role in helping us build the Exxon 20 community as well. It's just extraordinary. It's wonderful work. And I'm so proud at up, you know, backstage at Upstage that we can shine a light on the wonderful work that's going on and shine a light on this, you know, very rare um, disease within lung cancer. People just hear lung cancer and think it's one thing. Oh, they have lung cancer, but there are really so many subsets within the uh, disease. So it's it's just extraordinary the work you're doing and trying to get the word out. Would you know we're hoping we can help do that. Well, Hildy, thank you so much. Uh, I mean, with Karen Susserman and Sandy Kitchener, you have two of the great great care partners um, in the world. And I've told each of them if there were a Mount Rushmore mm-hmm. of care <laughs> partners, uh, they would each be on it. No question about it. Uh, they bring not only leadership to the Exxon 20 group and that special empathy and compassion for others, but they have this savvy strategic vision as well and the pay-it-forward vision mm-hmm. as well, where they have each helped so many more patients um, beyond their loved ones and, and their loved ones, both Mike and Cheryl, um, have been absolutely the exemplars of the patient who has done everything right, uh, no, no regrets. Uh, each therapeutic step has been right on amidst this ever-evolving, ever-challenging um, disease that, that still confounds us. But in, in Mike's memory and in Cheryl's memory, we are bound and determined to, to get to cure, no question about it. Well, again, I'd like to thank each one of you for joining us today. You, each one of you brought a special um, information and story and shared some aspects of your life that clearly continues to be painful. And at the same time, it's inspiring. I love the, the idea of pay it forward. I'm a huge believer and pay it forward. If all of us could do that, the world would be very different. Um, So again, I thank you so much. And um, we'll look forward to um, more conversations and any way we can help to get uh, more information or the word out about Exxon 20. We're delighted to do that. 
So thank you again. Thank you, Hildy. Thank you, Jordan. I, I can I can hear the, the caring in both of your voices. It's nothing that you can make up or teach somebody that both <laughs> of you have been through this before and, and uh, you understand. I appreciate it. Um, very well said by Sandy. Um, and the one thing that I do want to stress to listeners is that, you know, I only know about lung cancer, but what a what an incredible grassroots sort of patient and caregiver focused um, or run community it is. And there's so much support um, and information, knowledge, side effects management, cheerleading to be had among patients and caregivers. And um, I think, and even past caregivers, because there's a lot of us who are still very committed to doing what we can to help other people. I think it's super important and um, I, there's a place for it. So thank you for giving us a voice today. I was just going to add a word uh, that Marsha was describing both of our guests here. Uh, the word is grace, something mm-hmm. that's very, very difficult to keep in line when you're dealing with this. I been there, done that, but thank you so much. But Marsha, a call to action. Uh, it's important for you to tell the audience that is worldwide how they can connect with ICANN, the website, and the best way to do that. Best way uh, for EGFR Exxon 20 and HER2 Exxon 20 insertion patients, their families, their clinicians, and anyone involved in the field is simply log on to exxon20group.org or our mothership uh, at ICANN, askican.org. But we'll be happy to set up a Zoom meeting uh, with, with anyone and onboard any patient, care partner, or family members that wants to join us in driving this toward a chronic manageable condition. And then we are not going to give up until it gets to total cure. Jordan, thank you so much. And Hildy, thanks a million for allowing us to be part of your amazing universe. We look forward to uh, more podcasts. And our goal is to make this more of a conversation. It's okay to talk about lung cancer. To find out how you can join Upstage Lung Cancer in raising awareness and funding to beat lung cancer, visit our website, upstagelungcancer.org. We invite you to subscribe and download our podcast available on all platforms. And we love reviews and ratings. After all, we're showbiz people. There's more entertainment and inspiration to come on the next podcast episode of Backstage at Upstage.